Morning, church. Really excited about today. I verbatim what Don said to happen in my home. What do you want to do, honey? I want to watch the U.S. Open and be left alone. <laughs> Don't take it personally. That never works, does it, guys? Don't take it personally. They're always going to take it personally. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We were wrapping up our, our short uh, series on deceived. We've been looking at ways that Christians are deceived, and the way I want to talk about today, I think, is the greatest deception that Christians and non-Christians use in life and deceives them, the deception of religion. I get asked all the time, what denomination are you guys, you know, what kind of church are you guys, and there's there's really biblically only one kind of church that I know of, it's a Jesus-following church or it's not a church. And I know many of you grew up Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, you know, Church of Christ, Church of God, Church of Nazarene, Church of whatever. The gospel is simply this, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what's amazing is we as human beings complicate everything. It's not that complicated. And then we also create these lists that if you do these things, then God's going to bless you. And if you do these things, then you may tick him off. You ever stop to ask when you're going up, going, growing to church, uh, growing, going, growing up, going to church? There you go. Who made the list? Like, who gets to decide what's on the list? Oftentimes, people will die hoping that God's in a good mood that day. If the good outweighs the bad, if I love my neighbor as myself, if I'm kind, if I'm good, if I don't cheat, if I don't steal, if I don't curse too much, only when I hit my hand with a hammer, then it's okay, but just don't use that one. Religion. I can't stand religion. I'm not religious. I'm really not. Because religion speaks of man's attempt to find approval from God by what man is doing. It slaps the face of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Ephesians chapter 1. I love Ephesians. Um, I wish we had time to do the whole book. We're going to do Ephesians soon. But Ephesians, the first three chapters, what Paul does in the first three chapters is he tells you, this is who you are in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is what you need to do. Paul never tells you what to do before he tells you why you should do it. See, preachers have it opposite. They always just tell you what to do. They don't tell you why. If you look at chapter 1, what what Paul does, he uses a Trinitarian view of of who you are in Christ. Uh, Verses 3 through 6 talks about the work of the Father in the past. talks about predestination, election. Verses 7 through 11, he talks about the present and the son's work. And then uh, verses 12 through 14, he talks about the future and the spirit's work, the inheritance that you'll have as believers. You see, God is in time, out of time, all the time. He's not bound by time. And yet we still live in this thing called time. And so Paul opens up this cascade of God's grace in Ephesians chapter 1 that is meant to get you on your heels. Verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians 1, the Greek text, is one run-on sentence. I mean, Paul would have been flunked by our English teachers. But he is so excited. I mean, he's so excited he doesn't have time for punctuation. And and he just goes on and on and on. And it's meant, it's it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. It's meant for you to read Ephesians 1 each verse and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't get my hands around what Paul's saying here. What I want to look at today is I'm going to look at verses 6 through by 11. And we're going to see at the incredible expense that the father took so that you don't have to be religious because i got to be honest with you if if christianity is religion then i'd rather be at the lake right now i'd rather 
I'd rather be watching TV right now. I'd rather be sleeping right now. But if it's a personal daily relationship with a living God who is in control of all things and his main goal is for me to understand more of who he is so I can be intimate with him, then I'm all in. Look at verse 6, chapter 1. We'll start midstream. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved, that God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Romans says, Christ died for the ungodly. What did you do to earn your salvation? Wrong question. You can't do anything to earn it because once you talk about what you've done, then we're no longer talking about grace. He freely bestows his grace upon those who he chooses. Now, that's a different sermon for a different day. We can go in the whole predestination election thing. But I want to encourage you just in that one topic. Don't put God in a box as what you feel like he should be like and what you think is fair. Read your Bible. The Bible is very clear of who God is, how he operates, and how powerful he really is. And we create these man-gods that kind of fit our own system. Um, this past week, I was getting my hair cut, my hairs, I should say. And I've, like, shared Jesus with everybody in that place. And it's great because this place rotates workers, like, every three months. So I just get this new batch. And it's, it's really interesting to talk about to someone, hey, you're a sinner. And if you don't trust in Jesus, you won't go to heaven when you die. And they've got, like, a razor right beside your ear when you're telling this. But this guy was cutting my hair, and he said, man, I just turned 50. And I was like, tell me about that. What's that like? Oh, you don't want to be there, man. And he said, but I tell you what, I feel more of a peace in my life right now than I've ever felt. I said, why do you feel a peace? I just feel like I've got a real understanding and grasp of who God is now. He's just become really real to me, and I just have a peace in my heart. And I said, well, who's been helping you in your spiritual journey to, to better understand, you know, who God is in your life? He said, oh, man, I just... No one's been talking to me. I just, I just talk to God. I just tell him what I think. And, and I love, I like a God with no dogma, is what he said. And I'm sitting there thinking, I love a God with dogma. I love the fact that my God is not declawed or defanged, that he's not some old crotchety man sitting on a rocking chair in heaven hoping things work out well. And he's got power, but he's so old he doesn't even remember the power he, he forgot about. We have a God that is in charge of every detail of our lives. And no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are right now, you're not there by mistake. And I'll give you another little thing. You can't freak God out by confessing your sin to him. You're not going to go to God one day and say, let me tell you what I did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what am I going to do? He already knows what you thought, done, manipulated, cheated, what you wanted to do, what you looked at, what you gazed at. He knows. So your, your sin doesn't freak him out. Your sin, your confession of your sin frees you to be back in right relationship with him in an intimacy. He hasn't left. You have. Sin separates. You move. God doesn't move. He freely bestows his grace upon us. But salvation is, not, is free, but it's not cheap. Someone has to pay for it. Look at verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. I want to give you four hooks, if you will, or four points in this message, of this passage, that this is why you don't have to live deceived anymore. And, this, and, and number one is redemption. When you understand that we've been redeemed, that word redemption or redeem literally means to loosen or to free. The theme of redemption in your Bible is best seen in the Israelites who were in captivity for 400 years under a wicked pharaoh, or many pharaohs actually. 
And then God sends plagues, and he sends locusts, and he sends, you know, the firstborn starts dying. And then they get freed. And the point of redemption with the Israelites in Egypt is this, that God frees you out of slavery so that you get to worship God. That's redemption. God frees you out of slavery so you're free to worship God. And he frees you from two things. He freed the, the Israelites from two things, from slavery and death. He frees you and I from the same things, from the slavery of sin and death. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm a free person, a free society. I'm not a slave to anything. I will agree with you if you can prove two things to me. Number one, if you can prove that you'll never die, and if you can prove that you can live perfect. If you can live untainted by sin and you never die, then you don't need a redeemer. But if you ever have sinned, which is everybody in this room, and you are going to die, which is everybody in this room, then you're in need of a redeemer, or your other option is you trust yourself to redeem yourself of your sins when you die, and that's why man creates religion. So we can create a system of do's and don'ts and lists, so if we do all these things on the checklist that we created, then we're okay when we die. You know what religion is like? Religion is like putting a dart on a wall, drawing a bullseye around it, and then being arrogant to brag to everyone that you hit the bullseye. <laughs> that's what religion is like. And over time, I mean, you can go to the same church, the same denomination, over time, and different pastors, they come up with new rules. <laughs> Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, how do they get to heaven? Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? You trust in Jesus for the redemption of your sins. You know, the thing about not dying, you may think, well, I can push it off a little while, can I? I mean, I can drink, like, vitamin water and jog and, and exercise and, and look good. And You know what's going to happen? You're going to be jogging one day in good shape, and a guy's going to hit you and kill you. And you're going to die right there jogging. <laughs> Have you noticed how many people die in great shape? It makes me want to eat Bluebell again tonight. I mean, I'm just like, come on. <laughs> Let me show you a couple of verses here, and I can show you hundreds literally from the Scriptures. You already heard one of these, First Peter chapter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. In that place there for gold and silver, you could replace church attendance, doing all the right things, being moral, being a good person, not telling lies, all the lists. It wasn't from those things that your forefathers handed down to you that brings you salvation. The next line, uh, next verse 19. But with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. What gets you to heaven? Trusting in Jesus. Don't trust in a man. Don't trust in a denomination. You know who makes up denominations? Men and women. Don't trust in people. People will always let you down. You older folks in here, and I mean older than me, you older folks in here should know that you can't trust in people, right? People will always let you down. Jesus doesn't. People are never perfect. Jesus was. People will always try to put more rules on you than they even live up to their own selves. Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, I'm going to live perfect, and then I'm going to call you to live just like me. Let me show you another verse. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, And they, that's the elders around the throne in heaven, sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is Jesus worthy to open the seals? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You see, following the teachings of Jesus is not what saves you. The blood of Jesus is what saves you. You can follow Jesus' teaching every day of your life and be a great religious person and not go to heaven when you die. 
because it's still on your effort. Now, there are churches all over this city this morning that will teach you that you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this to go to heaven. That's fine. They can teach what they want. But if you read your Bible, that's not what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you the second thing that leads you not to live a life of deception. Forgiveness. One of my favorite words in the scriptures, forgiveness. Look at verse 7 there. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That he redeemed you by his blood so that your sins would be forgiven. A couple more verses here. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44, 22. I've wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. You know, and Paul was, Paul was a bad man. Paul used to kill Christians and burn churches. That's what Paul did before he came to Christ. And Paul ends up writing half of your New Testament. And what you read for quiet times, Paul wrote that in his quiet time. Now, what changed Paul? He realized he was a sinner. Paul even says, I am the chief of sinners. But he always had an acute understanding that those sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. See, some of you will forgive others, but you won't let yourselves be forgiven. What makes you so, think you're so special that God can't forgive you? The great Roman philosopher Seneca said that he was a man not to be tolerated, homo non tolerabilis. I'm a man not to be tolerated. Some of your wives are thinking, that's you, honey. He's talking about you. I'm a man not to be tolerated. And in despair, Seneca said, what humankind needs is a hand to lift him up. You know what Paul says in Ephesians 1? Jesus is the hand, and he's lifted you up, and he has redeemed you, and he has given you forgiveness of your trespasses. Not only has he redeemed us and forgiven us, but he also extends his grace. Look at verse 7 again there at the last. According to the riches of his grace. God doesn't give you grace out of his riches. He gives you grace according to his riches. Giving grace out of your riches, I've said it before, it's like Michael Dell comes in here and you pass a plate down, he puts a 20 in. That's just kind of giving a token to a deity. That's giving out of your riches. God says, I have given Jesus according to my riches. That God can't go any further, and it can't be more expensive than giving Jesus his son. That is according to his riches. That he has given everything he can so that you will know him. Without the death of Christ, God will never embrace anybody. Because he is holy, he is perfect. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. And then he says, this grace he lavished on us. Isn't that a great word? It's a word we don't use too much. That God lavishes his grace. And it's in the present, um, the, uh, present tense, which means that he will forever lavish his grace upon us. God's will for you now is that you receive the lavishing of his grace for eternity. And he will never stop pouring that out. What if I do something bad? It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's his redemption of you. We've said it before. Someone says, I found Christ when I was 21. No, you didn't find him. He found you. You're lost. God's never lost. What if uh, i got to do something, though? i got to believe and trust him, right? That's, that's a good work. No. You see what God does? He opens your dead heart and gives you an option you never had before. And for the first time in your life, you recognize that he's God and you're not. So you place your trust in him because he's already done something in your heart to even regenerate your option. He gives you the option for the first time. Salvation is 100% God. You will never get to heaven and say, aren't you glad I decided to trust you? Uh-uh. You're going to fall on your face just like me and say, why am I here? Why am I even here? We said it before. There are three people that will surprise you there in heaven. You're going to be sitting there thinking, first of all, I'm surprised that he's here. 
I'm surprised that they're not here, and I'm surprised that I'm here. Because you're going to realize, as I'm going to realize, you've got to be perfect to get there. No one's getting in, except there is one perfect one, who because of his perfection, we are now credited to our account's righteousness. Isn't that great? Now, some of you have been in church a long time, and you've heard this before. Would you open your frozen, chosen heart up just a little bit to let this be fresh again? I hope you never get over the fact that Jesus redeemed you and that you were a rebel to him. You may have been a good rebel. You may have given charity work. You may have been nice. But biblically, you were lost. You were dead. What decisions can dead people make? None. You're dead. God gave you life. He redeemed you. Now, let's look at verse 8, see what else this amazing God did. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. In all wisdom and insight, the fourth thing I want to give you of how you don't have to be deceived is God has given you wisdom and insight, wisdom and understanding. God has equipped you not to have to be deceived. That you understand the intention of God's will is found in Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. That you don't have to go through life wondering what God's like. We know what God's like. We've seen his son. You don't have to wonder how sin came about or what sin does. We know what sin does. We read our Bibles. We have a book called Genesis that tells us how it got started, how it happens, what happens. We don't have to wonder if we're, if we're going to die or not. Hebrews says, as a point of man wants to die and then the judgment. We know we're going to die and we don't have to wonder what's after death. There's a whole book called Revelation that says, here's what's going to happen after you die. Paul says in Romans 1 that men and women, without a revelation from God, turn to foolish speculation, i.e. see also religion and philosophy. Religion and philosophy is man's attempt to try to figure out a God that has not disclosed himself to them. When Paul's writing Ephesians, he's writing to a group of people that have over 50 deities that they've created that they're worshiping. And he comes and says, all that's religion? This is different. This is Jesus. And he redeemed you, and he's forgiven you, and he's lavished his grace upon you, and he's given you spiritual discernment to know how to live life as a redeemed person. In all wisdom and insight, wisdom is the knowledge to see through issues. Understanding is, is the ability to make the right action. You don't have to guess who God is anymore. Now, don't be mistaken, there's still a deceiver. He's called Satan, but we are wise to his schemes. You see, this is why we did this series, because I see Christians making the same mistakes over and over and over and over. Deceived. If I leave this person, then I get someone else, I'll be happier. No, you'll just be more miserable because you're still sinful, just like the person you're going to get next. If I make more money, I'll be happy, really. How many miserable rich people do you know? If, if I get this car, if I get this house, if I, if I accomplish this, and we keep deceiving ourselves, and it's all goes... They're, they're, there's no new sins, they're all reruns, right? If you eat the fruit, God knows you'll be just like him. You'll get something that he's holding back from you. So what we do is we go take it, and then we get it, and we're like, this doesn't taste as great as I'd hoped. What's next? You know what the next is? Jesus. You know what the next is? Jesus. What's the next? Jesus. What's going to bring you happiness? Jesus. What is this about? Jesus. Look at verse 10. With a view... This is the mystery that's been opened to us with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. What this means is if you're sitting here today and you're in the middle of a disaster or a calamity, God knows where you are and he's not done yet. He's still going to fix everything. You go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis 3, man falls, 
And then this thing called sin starts, and the rest of the Bible talks about the, the effects of that sin and how God's going to fix it again. And at the end, he says, here's what it's going to look like when I fix it. No matter where you are right now, God's going to fix it. And if you will cling to him long enough, you'll see him fix it. See, when God doesn't show up on our timetable, we get restless and think he doesn't care, so we take matters in our own hands. The administration, our time suitable, what does that mean? What that means is God's going to do this when he wants to do it. Now, see, I wish it said, I'm going to call Brad up, or he's going to pray, and I'm going to tell him, you decide when the suitable time is. Because I'd like to decide that. I really would. Let me tell you an example. This week, I got a Father's Day card from my godly mother. Wishing me happy Father's Day. I'm not a father, but she loves me. So she sends me a card. By the time I got the envelope in the mail, it had been ravaged by somebody in the, par- in the parcel service. And the card was hanging, the envelope was like, please burn me. And the card's hanging out. <laughs> and I take the card out, and it's empty. My mom doesn't send me empty cards. I'm 40 years old, and there's still something in that card. And I'm sitting here, and I'm going, God, would you bring down the judgment of the heavens upon whoever did this? Would you bring famine and locusts into the third and fourth generation? Would you cut off the firstborn? <laughs> I'm driving to, to the office early this morning, and I got a voice on my phone. I check it. It's my godly mother. And she goes, well, Courtney told us that the car was empty but I'm sure someone who took it is really hungry and needs some money to help them. So your little bit of money will bless somebody. I'm sitting there going, crap. <laughs> God. Now I got to pray, right? And God, I know you're going to make me use that illustration today in church. God says, you know what, I'm in charge, and I'm going to fix everything, but the issue is I'm going to fix it when I want to fix it. And you got to trust me. you got to trust that I'm in charge. A few years ago, I was watching uh, Good Morning America, and there was a man named Albert Speer on there. Albert Speer was a confidant of Adolf Hitler. He's, he's the technological genius behind Hitler and his regime, keeping the factories going during that time technologically. And he was one of 42 people on trial at Nuremberg. And of the 42 people on trial at Nuremberg, he's the only one that admitted guilt. And while he served a 20-year sentence in prison, he wrote some things about guilt and conscience and paying back for what you've done. And in the interview, the, uh, the interviewer had read some of his writings and she asked, you've said the guilt can never be forgiven or shouldn't be. Do you still feel that way? Spear with a look of sadness said, I served a sentence of 20 years, and I could say I'm a free man. My conscience has been cleared by serving the whole time as punishment, but I can't get rid of it. This new book is a part of my atonement of clearing my conscience. The interviewer pushed some more. She said, you really don't think you'll be able to clear your conscience totally? Spear looked up and he shook his head and he says, I don't think it's at all possible. The ABC interviewer was the last public statement Spear ever had. He died shortly after that interview. What's tragic about Seneca and about Spear is that God has sent someone to lift your head up and is giving you wisdom and understanding into the mystery that everything culminates under the summation of Jesus Christ. And one day the world's going to be his footstool. And he's going to fix everything. 
And he has redeemed you and he's lavished his grace and forgiven you of your trespasses and gives you discernment and godliness to live life. You see, we are the redeemed. We're not deceived. We're not deceived like G.N. Clark, who gave his inaugural lecture at Cambridge when he said this, There is no secret and no plan in history to be discovered. I do not believe that any future consummation can make sense of the irrationalities of preceding ages. Another way of saying it is history has no point. Everything horrible that's happened has just happened by chance. There's no reason behind it. I disagree with Mr. Clark. As I read my Bible, I see that everything one day will be brought under the headship of Jesus, which means anything that's happened up to this point, Jesus knows about, and he's keeping score. And he's going to fix it. Austin Ridge Bible Church, we know who's in charge, don't we? We know who's in control. We are the redeemed. We have been forgiven. We have wisdom and understanding of knowing that the culmination at the right time, God's going to fix everything. We're not deceived. We are the redeemed of Jesus. Do not be deceived by religion. It will only make you feel more guilty. Some of you are more upset that I said crap earlier in my message than the fact that Jesus has redeemed you. <laughs> I'm being serious. Sometimes we fall more in love with Jesus. I mean, we fall more in love with church than Jesus. I heard a a speaker one time get up and said a cuss word at, at Dallas Chapel, and he said that. He said, some of you are more worried about what I just said than the fact that people you know are dying and going to hell, and you're not upset by that. And I think that's a little uh, manipulative as a speaker, but yet I'll do it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I want us to follow Jesus every day as a people that are redeemed. And you're forgiven and you live like it. Once you know you're forgiven, you can extend forgiveness. Once you know you've been graced, lavished upon you, you extend grace. Once you know that God's in charge, you don't worry. How many of you worried this week? It's unbiblical. You don't have to worry. God's going to fix it. You, you don't control anything anyway, so quit worrying. Eat bluebell. <laughs> Love Jesus, hate sin, eat bluebell. That's, that's deep theology. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father, today... We thank you for a God who loves us so much that we can laugh and we can have fun and that you know what real life is like because you came and you lived real life. You, you dealt with, with stuff that we deal with and, and you lavish your grace upon people like us. Father, the question is not what must we do to be saved? The question is why would such a holy God love such rebels without hope like us? And yet you chose to, in your wisdom, before the foundations of this planet, that you would redeem us. Father, you know that we love to tell stories at this church. I pray that this story that we're about to tell, this body, would quicken our hearts to have a deeper passion of the redemption of your son and what that means for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.